Hey friends, it's Coley. Welcome to a new episode of Still With You. It is wonderful to have you here. We have a great show in place this week, especially if you love learning about space exploration, NASA, or simply choosing hope over fear. On this episode of Still With You, I have the honor of speaking with a new friend, author Stacy Morgan. On July 20th, 2019, in southern Kazakhstan, Stacy Morgan stood alongside her four children in an open field as they watched a Soyuz rocket ignite into the early morning sky. Aboard the spacecraft was her husband, U.S. Army Colonel and NASA astronaut Drew Morgan. With an overwhelming mix of pride, excitement, and terror, Stacy had no idea what to expect once the 30-second countdown to liftoff began. There was no roadmap for the next nine months she would spend with her children at home on Earth while Drew completed his mission aboard the International Space Station. Containing behind-the-scenes glimpses into a side of spaceflight that most of us will never experience, the Astronaut's Wife is a funny, poignant, and meaningful exploration of living life to the fullest, no matter where you roam. In this conversation with Stacy, we had a blast talking about the annual and iconic Army-Navy football game, NASA spouse history, sharing fun in the middle of survival mode, and living boldly, not only in our faith, but also in action. Stacy is a challenger you are sure to gravitate towards. You can pre-order your copy of The Astronaut's Wife by visiting visiting theastronautswife.com or Stacy's website, stacymorgan2000.com. You can also use Amazon or stop by a local bookstore and have The Astronaut's Wife shipped directly to their location. The Astronaut's Wife officially releases next week, Tuesday, March 8th. I had the opportunity to pre-read and friends, I am telling you every single word of Stacy's story is meaningful. I loved learning from her experience of launching her husband Drew into outer space and how this changed the way she lives on Earth. Let's roll the audio and welcome author of The Astronaut's Wife, Stacy Morgan. For our friends who don't engage in speaking Enneagram, they can just like skip 15 seconds of this first <laughs> question. But Stacy, something that I don't have the opportunity enough of is having friends who identify as Enneagram eights. Since I've been married to an eight six years this May, the secret is out. You guys are my favorite. <laughs> Absolutely favorite. And I think it's because I've been harboring feelings that I want to be an eight so badly. Do you embrace your eightness? <laughs> I do. I now understand. Like I know people have mixed feelings about the Enneagram, but I I really enjoy it because it has been um, such a great tool to understanding myself. The female Enneagram eight is, they say, the most misunderstood kind of personality type. And I would totally agree with that. Kind of reading into all the different things about what it is to be an Enneagram eight has really helped me put words to a lot of feelings my whole life that have sometimes made me feel like a little bit different. So for those of you who don't know what an Enneagram eight is all about, uh, like we get stuff done. Yes. If you put us on a team, we're going to end up leading that team. We just tend to be the natural leaders and people tend to look to us to lead because we are generally unafraid of life. We're not afraid of confrontation. We're not afraid of hard things. If we see a bully or uh, some kind of injustice, like we're going to get in there and just like, we're the ones like pulling our earrings off and, you know, <laughs> like getting in the fight. And we can be very intimidating because we bring a lot of, I would say, passion. 
to a situation, but we bring yes. a lot of energy. If we focus that on you, it can be scary at times, I think, right? Because we bring a lot, we bring a lot to the situation. And so um, I've learned over time how to kind of appropriately channel some of that energy. Uh, I heard it described once like an Enneagram eight is like somebody who has this giant, really sharp sword sheathed like on their hip, like a medieval knight. It's this incredible tool and it can be very powerful, but we have to be careful about how we take it out and like swing it around. Because when you want a protector, when you want somebody to get something done, to take that hill, I'm there, I'm going to rally the troops. I'm going to get everybody moving and we're going to take that hill. But sometimes if you get in my way and I'm swinging that thing around, I could take some heads off. Right. So I got to be careful about how I do that. And it can be intimidating because we are, uh, tend to be very confident and um, we will run you over if we aren't careful. We're a lot, but we get a lot. It's We're really good people to have on your team. We're very loyal. We're going to, we'll do anything you want. And we feel very deeply, although we don't put it on our sleeves, but deep down inside, we are feeling very deeply. I mean, I married one, so I'm clearly a fan. I want to be a trusted voice of when I say something, I mean it. And I feel like with eights, sometimes it can come across, like you said, just a little direct, yes. but at least I don't have to guess on what they mean. And I love love that. I want people around me who I can trust. I know there's like an inner fortress of like a limited number of people. And I'm like, man, I want to be as trustworthy as a person to all people. But if I can live like I want to be as trustworthy where an eight would let me in their inner fortress. Yes. That's the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. We have a very small inner circle. I think one of the downsides that most eights would agree with is we feel betrayal very deeply. So if you hurt us or you betray our trust, you're out and there's no coming back. Let you a little bit closer back if you like, you know, really apologize. But if you've really breached our trust, forget about it. That's just it. And we have the ability to kind of be like, yeah, that's a done deal. (laughs) Like, sorry, forever. That's just how it is. You know, one less person in the inner circle oh well. And we kind of move on and we're very direct. I would say we joke, we're not very passive aggressive. It's the get, this is a big stereotypes, but uh, we're not very passive aggressive. We're just aggressive. (laughs) And um, we'll, you know, we'll tell you what the problem is. And so I think that is um, an unhealthy eight. Probably that would be something they would need to work on. Like learning how to soften our words and approach people with love. We feel like our passion is love and we're helping you and we're going to help solve this problem. But sometimes, you know, people don't really want you to solve their problems. They just want, they just want you to like hug them or something. I disrespect the eightness and find me being very appreciative of it here. (laughs) I have such a fascination with military academies, specifically like West Point. And I've never had the opportunity to speak with a graduate. If I ask anything you don't want to answer, you do not have to answer at all. (laughs) But Something that I remember hearing in passing from someone is that in the process of applying that if you speak with a West Point recruiter at a very young age, that they actually follow up and follow with what you're doing. Is that true? No, that's not true. Okay, never mind. And it's funny because, yeah, so I went to West Point. My husband went to West Point. That's where we met. Yes. Um, I actually didn't graduate from there. I transferred out halfway through, but my husband did graduate from there. That, that He's two years ahead of me, so he graduated the same year I transferred. Spent two years there, and my son is going there in the fall. So we just put my son through the process. Yes, I learned 
it was very interesting to see like, oh, this aspect of the process has changed in 20 years. Shocking. Now, when I was there, the ratio of men to women, it was about 10 to one. It was not unusual to be the only woman in the room, you know, the only woman in my squad or whatever. That ratio has since gotten lower. It's much better now. But I actually had somebody say to me the other day, like someone who had graduated just a few years ago. And she was like, oh gosh, when I think about (laughs) the women in your class, like you guys are such trailblazers. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) Have I reached the trailblazing point? And I realized there were as many years between when I was there and her as there was when I was there and the original class of women. And so I was like, wow, okay, that's really fascinating. It is true that it is a long process to get in. And mainly that's because, you know, it is a a government institution, you know, that you're joining the military, they want to make sure that you're serious and that you're doing for the right reasons. And so it takes about a year. I mean, you start that your junior year much earlier than you do, you know, like other colleges where you could start that process your senior year or whatever, but it, it you do have to start very early. I love that the beginning pieces of college and kind of that story, like that all bled into the book. Did you always intend when you went to share your experience with NASA and Drew's experience with NASA, like, did you always intend to start that early in the process of writing? No, it's a funny process when you're writing because you kind of know where you want to go. Yeah with the message of that chapter. And I kind of would start with, okay, this is the story that happened. Like this is the recent story while, you know, my husband was on orbit that I want to tell. But then you think, oh, well, where did that kind of like, where did I start learning that lesson? Or where did that begin? You think of a story that happened before then. And so like after a while, I was like, okay, this is the pattern kind of that (laughs) I'm going for. And it was fun because it is a little bit of a memoir in that way. It was fun to kind of sit down and, and put some of those older stories, like the story of how Drew and I met on paper and have to like really think about it. And that was some interesting conversations we had because I remembered some things differently than Drew did. And, you know, that's a funny conversation to have with your spouse. What do you remember about that day or this day? And it's amazing how you have very different recollections about some aspects of the story. When our friends read the book, I hope that they pay attention to the part about the bookshelf because I think that is so telling of your personalities of what's allowed on the bookshelf. That was so fun to read. Back to just, again, like military questions about the academy. I know that your family pays attention to the Navy Army game, the Army game that happens every December 10th, 7th, whatever. It usually falls on my birthday. We love watching that every year. Do you have any traditions around that game or like anything that makes that special? Because we always pay attention. We love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is like... The, watching the Super Bowl here at our house. The, like the military Super Bowl. It really is. <laughs> and one of the fun things in the military world, like a lot of people watch it, whether you're an academy connected person or not, like it's just kind of a fun, yeah. you know, Army Navy rivalry kind of fun thing. Having gone there and experienced those games as cadets, like it's a little bit near and dear to our hearts. But yes. when we came down here to Texas, where it's kind of, there are people from all the different services that are here at NASA. And so we started going to Army Navy games with other astronauts and their families who are Navy Academy grads or, yeah. you know, and it was kind of a fun mix. We hadn't had quite the rivalry parties yes. <laughs> until we kind of were in a joint environment here. And that's been really fun because usually it would just be a bunch of Army people because that's who we are, you know, all cheering for Army, which is fun. It's a different kind of fun when your rivals are also in the room. And so either way, somebody's going to go home happy and somebody's going to 
I go home disappointed. Old grads were like, we bust out like our old Army Navy t-shirts or we bust out old uniform items and try to see if we can still button them or zip them up. That's so funny. Hats, you know, I mean, everybody has a trunk full of uniform items from when they were there. And it's always fun to like get them out and take pictures and you text these pictures to your friends and the military community is very small. It is a fun kind of thing that brings everybody together. Were you ever able to attend one of the games like in person? Like, did you and Drew ever attend? Yeah, the entire Corps of Cadets goes to the Army Navy game every year. Okay. So yeah, and the same, and the Naval Academy Corps of Midshipmen goes too. So you go to every home game and then you, some cadets go to every away game, but for Army Navy, everybody shows up and it's the full, you know, the full march on that you watch at the beginning that's so impressive. And um, it's really fun. It's a big piece of the calendar there around. It's because it always is the beginning of December. And so it's a big giant thing and your parents come oh, wow. and all these people come, you know, and so, and it often kind of kicks off like the holiday season, yes, which is also very exciting for any college student. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, Army, Navy, and then we get to go home and, and have a break for a while, get away from Academy life. Watching television, I would never know that that's like the whole crew. So that's interesting to know that it's something that you uh, is celebrated together. When yeah. you and or Drew were present there, did any of the presidents arrive to watch the game? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the, the sitting president usually comes to the game because yeah. it's usually either in New York or Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure the president came both years that I was there. I think all four years that my husband was there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it's always like, I mean, it's a big deal because not the president's there, like the entire, like it's like the practically the entire Pentagon is there. You know, it's a, it's a really big deal and it is fun. I mean, it's like 4,000 plus cadets and 4,000 plus midshipmen. And of course they bring in yeah. the horses are there and the howitzers and all the pageantry of it. And it's all the good things that people enjoy about the whole academy experience without any of the grind <laughs> that you're experiencing the rest of the 364 days of the year. But it's such a good time. I, I really enjoy it. And old grads go back and alumni come back with good gaming. It's always a big deal. And so we're actually really looking forward to going back uh, once our son is there. I was going to say. We, we haven't been in person in a while. Yeah. Uh, we went uh, maybe a decade ago was the last time that we were there in person. And so it's it helps to have a reason to go and spend the money and make the trip because you got to stay in a hotel and all that kind of stuff. It's worth it if your kid is there. So we're really excited to go back and just experiencing it again as as old grads, but also just through his eyes and kind of the new generation of military officers. It's it's just really exciting. My brother deployed a couple of years ago. And when he was in Afghanistan, I had to stop watching military films that Mm. I kind of was in the habit of doing. When Drew was in space, did you shy away from like spending time, like watching shows that were kind of space centered? Like, did you ever intentionally have any boundaries of what you were consuming? Maybe not even in film, but news or different things. Uh, yeah. And I totally get what you said. Like, cause I had to do the same thing when Drew was deployed also, yeah. like that got to the point where I was like, you know, <laughs> my life is scary enough as it is. I don't need to like add additional scary. Like I probably don't need to be watching like Black Hawk Down or like a whole bunch of really, really excellent films came out about like Afghanistan and, you know, yeah. different situations that happened. And I was like, I'm not in the right headspace to watch this. This is not good. And yeah, when he was on orbit, definitely. Do I really want to watch Apollo 13? Probably. Probably not. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, you know, this is just probably not wise for me to watch this right now. A lot of um, spouses who have 
who are also parents. It's something we think about just because like we as adults, we can process like, okay, this is a movie or this is historical. And I, I know it may kind of disturb me or just like kind of bother me, but I can put it in context because I'm an adult. <laughs> but for my kids, like watching a movie that had a rocket explosion in it, that might not be good for them either. So it's definitely something we kind of keep our eye on just in case. It's one of those things that I didn't realize that I needed that boundary until I was there. Chris and I, he was away for a while, the early part of like our dating and engagement. It was one of those where I'm like, I didn't realize that I needed that boundary until I was right there in the center of it. After reading your book, you went through like a learning process of what that's like with deployment and then space. Yeah. When you went to start writing the book, how did you feel about being like vulnerable about the harder parts of your story? I'm thinking about the conversation that you even shared in the first chapter with your friend Lisa about choosing hope over fear. I think that's one of the hardest parts of writing a book, at least this kind of book, is is being vulnerable and reflecting. And as as an Enneagram 8 who feels very deeply, but I don't often explore those feelings because they're so deep, it feels very very uncomfortable because it feels like, man, if I really let myself feel this deeply and like kind of take myself back into that moment and how scary that was, or just how lonely or how sad or whatever it was that I was like, that makes me feel a little bit out of control. And Enneagram eights like to be in control. (laughs) So um, it was hard. And that was definitely a challenge for me personally was like kind of in that reflection. I wouldn't want to say forcing myself, but that's how it felt at times is like forcing myself like, okay, no, you need to, in writing this, we need to really spend some time thinking, this is like me talking to myself in the third person, like, oh, aren't I so snooty? But like, (laughs) you know, like we need to get into this and like really kind of explore these feelings. How was that? And in writing these stories, I gained a deeper appreciation for friends like Lisa, who kind of had gone ahead of me a little bit and kind of guided me through some of those early baby steps of facing some real issues of of thinking about death and mortality and facing fears that before that, I really just kind of was happy to sit in that space of like, ignorance is bliss. If I don't think about it, it won't happen. And she was the first person who was like, we should think about this. And actually, not only that, I've thought about it. And like, here's where the path led me. And I and I want to tell you about it. I think a lot of people, when faced with fears, are afraid to go down that thought path because it's dark, it's scary, and they don't know where it's going to lead. Yeah. And so it's like, you know what? It's just better not to think about it. Like, I don't know where that path's going. So I'm just going to stay here and kind of like pretend like that won't happen. And she showed me that you can follow that path. And actually there's freedom on the other side of it, because once you follow it to the end and you're like, all right, what's the worst that could happen here? The worst that could happen in that case, in those early deployment conversations was my husband doesn't come home. You know, something terrible happens. You get blown up, whatever that was happening all the time. Okay. Like once you've reached the end point of like, that's the worst that could happen. That absolutely is like my most primal fear in this moment. Okay. Then what? And then there's a freedom in saying like, oh, okay, actually, but you know, life would still on, still go on. I have to believe God would bring people to yeah. comfort me and not that life would be easy, but life would still be worth living and there would still be good things and there would still be tomorrow. So I think that's like, that's what I hope people get out of it when they read that first chapter in particular, because that's kind of like the foundation for the whole rest of the book is like, if you go through life, just afraid and unwilling, even in that fear to face the actual fears that you have and kind of follow those paths, everything in life is harder. It just is. Because you're just reactionary. And as the world changes, it just brings up new fears. And even when you tackle one fear, a whole new batch pops up. And so if you don't kind of 
have the foundation of mm-hmm. like, how do I deal with fear in my life? And that, and that I can choose to not let this kind of dictate how I live my life, then you really can't go on to the next step. Yeah. It, it really starts with deciding whether or not you are willing to be, live a life dictated by your fears of what might come next or something else. Hey friends, do you own a business or a brand, big or small? You have a story and still with you would love to share the hard work that you are doing. See, one of my favorite parts about hosting a podcast is supporting my entrepreneur friends. Gosh, they have real grit and giving them a small space on an episode is a true joy. Becoming an official sponsor of Still With You is easy and so much fun. If you're interested in this opportunity to showcase your company, let's connect. You can visit my website, coleybrowning.com and click the share your story tab. Take 10 seconds or less to fill out the quick form and then hear from me in less than 24 hours about sharing your brand, your business, your story on Still With You. Hopefully next time you will not be hearing my voice in an ad break, but will be hearing yours. When you look at the cover, you think, okay, I'm going to hear some adventurous story, which you do. You hear some crazy adventurous <laughs> stories. But Stacy, what you do such a great job of is that you share your story and it's like it's tucked in the pocket within the story is the invitation for the reader to reflect on their own experiences and to really think about strength and perseverance, not quitting and hope and fear. And like all of those, you know, faith centered adjectives just that are tucked in the middle of it. So when you get to chapters like that, you're kind of like wrestling around, like, well, what am I afraid of? What am I thinking about quitting being adventurous and taking risks where they're necessary? I don't know if you set out to do that, but I found myself connecting to your story even more than what I thought, because I don't have any true connection to NASA, you know, like I I could connect to the military parts, but I think our friends who have no relation to a military community or any kind of space center things, I think that they're going to find so much by reading this. Like it's incredible what you've done. Well, thank you. I, that's was that's you've you've hit the nail on the head. Like that's what I'm hoping for. You know, this idea of the fact that I live in a, an unusual you know, is certainly kind of a hook that gets people's attention. But I hope in some of these crazy or funny stories or things that happened, it does cause that level of reflection that you talked about. And and I want it to be open-handed. Like I don't ever, I hate being preached at. Yes. I don't want you to tell me like, or guilt trip me into something, you know, like I want you to offer me something for me to think about. Yeah. And then I can make my decision about what, where am I and have that level of reflection. And so it's been interesting, like talking to people, very few of their questions after they read the book are in any way space related. I was wondering about that because I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, I can look up Drew on Instagram and see all the cool things he had done in space. But I'm like, Stacy, I just need to know more about what happened to your heart. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's what I want because it's like, look, you can, you can Google <laughs> anything you want about like space and astronauts and the space station and all this kind of stuff. And you will get much better answers and YouTube videos than I can do. But I love that that's not what is resonating with people. It's the, you've heard my story. You saw that. Now, how about you? Like, what do you think? Even though my experiences are a little bit surreal sometimes and certainly unusual, there's hopefully a relatability there to whatever your unique situation is. I just love that you loved it. Thank you for telling me that. 
It was so easy to binge read. And it was like the treat within my day when I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go pick through a few pages. It was so beautifully written. I hope this is just your first. Like, I hope that there comes a second or a third. You did such a great job. One of the things that you mentioned in the book is you have, and this is another just amazing gift that you have of being able to dissect and reveal like the inner dialogue you have, not just what happened, but what also happened within. And something that you refer to a lot is just talking about like the survival me, like in quotes, survival me, and then the real me. And you describe survival me as someone who like circles, completing action items. And real me is the one who lives for fun and adventure and taking risk and learning new things. So when you decided to write The Astronaut's Wife, like which voice were you leaning into? Like, did you need both? And like, how was your relationship with that in the writing process? Yeah, you definitely need, it's okay to be in like survival mode is like, you know, this is the person who like can clean your whole house yeah. in like two hours, just like a whirlwind, like gets that stuff done, gets that task list, making your routines faster and your life, everybody's marching to the same <laughs> tune. And here we go. Bedtime, let's go. Brush teeth in bed. Yes. Good. And that's great. And I certainly needed that because if anybody who's written a book will tell you this kind of fantasy of that, you're going to like sit in your desk and like, you know, just like look out your window and gaze and like, that it's this like <laughs> soft, you know, easy process that the words just going to flow. That's just not how it is. You have to sit. It's a grind. Like you sit and you're like, okay, I got three hours. We're going to crank out this chapter. Like you have to sit and work and it is, it is work. And so it takes at some level, a bit of that survival me like focus and dedication to be like, I have cleared my schedule or like I have been survival me for an hour. I have, that allowed me to crank the things that like needed to get done so that everyone here in my house can eat and live and have, you know, survive like their own lives. But that creates the space for me to then sit down and be the real me in the reflection in the vulnerability required to kind of like crack your heart open and, and put it on the page. I have written things in the past, like blog posts, or I've been asked to write stuff for other people's websites or stuff like that, but certainly nothing of this scope, like an entire book. So this was a new skill, certainly a lot of vulnerability and humility required because you send it off to editors who then send it back with commentary and questions. And they're they're like, is this the word you really meant to use? Because I think, I I don't think this word means what you you think it means. And you think, oh my gosh, I've been using this word wrong for 25 years. Like, you know, so it's a, it's a whole process. Yeah. It's very humbling. humbling. Um, and it is an adventure and it's a, it's very risky. I, I don't think I quite, even for somebody who like wrote an entire chapter of risk, I don't think I realized how risky writing a book is because there's just so many aspects mm-hmm. of it that are risky to your pride. But then as the process goes on, the process of putting it out there and starting to tell people about it, and then like when the marketing efforts begin and then people really start hearing about it, it just feels like you are wearing your heart on your sleeve. It just feels very vulnerable, very risky. That's hard. Even if you are trying to live into that space and be kind of that full heart person who's willing to be vulnerable and willing to take risk, it's still tough. So it is a balance of both. I tried to lean more into the real me than the survival me, but the important thing is that people don't stay in survival mode and make that like 
how they do life because that is just no fun and really is not good for you (laughs) or anyone around you when you're just like a taskmaster 24-7. As you're in this process of you know, sharing actively. I was just like, you're literally in the thick of your press week and just like putting things out there to have people get excited, which I don't know why they wouldn't be. I love this. And I hope that everyone goes to read it. But as you're opening up more to this part that you've not walked before, what's your go-to coping mechanism? If someone kind of pokes your heart where you're like, oh, like I didn't really want to talk about that today. Like, how do you manage that prayer? Tell me like, how do, how do you do that? Cause I have that sometimes where I'm like, yeah, please don't ask me that today. Like, or please don't ask me that ever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I definitely think, I mean, God used this whole process to grow me in so many ways. I would say I am a far more compassionate and merciful person having done this process than I was before, because in my vulnerability of sharing these stories, going through this process and now talking about them and knowing that all these people that I don't know are reading them and they can either like love it or hate it. It just feelings, it makes you feel very exposed. And so when people are merciful and are kind and loving, it means so much more because it does feel like your heart is just like on the outside of your body and somebody could poke you and that really stinks. I feel like sometimes I have to remind myself, just like with anything in life, you can be doing exactly what God calls you to be doing, square in the middle of God's plan, your calling, your strengths. And that does not mean that there aren't going to be naysayers or that things aren't going to be tough or you're not going to hit a rough patch. That's normal. Like, I think there's a fallacy that like, oh, well, if you're doing what God wants you to do, if, if, if you're doing everything right, then everything should be easy and smooth and everyone will love you and everything will line up perfectly. And that's just not true. The road is rough, even when you're on the right path. And so that's what I have to remind myself when somebody says, no, thanks, or wasn't my favorite or, or passes on an interview, whatever it is in this moment that feels tough. It's like, okay, that's fine. That doesn't change my belief that this is what God has called me to today. Hey again, it's Coley. Before I launched Still With You five years ago, I read endless how-to articles promising a smooth and simple podcasting startup plan, but they only left me more confused and discouraged. I wanted a space for what I truly needed, practical, trusted information with personal encouragement, which is why I started How to Podcast with Coley Browning, a fun, easy, encouraging step-by-step guide to create and launch your own podcast today. In this course, you will discover your podcast purpose, plan your show step-by-step, and publish and promote your work. Don't just listen to podcasts, participate in the conversation. Start your own show today. And for a little bit of extra help in the process, you can use How to Podcast with Coley Browning, a fun, easy, step-by-step guide to create and launch your own podcast today. You can find more information by visiting coleybrowning.com. Click How to Podcast with Coley Browning. Press record and start sharing your story. Does Drew plan to ever return to space potentially in the future? It's certainly potentially in the future. After you fly, astronauts come back and there's kind of a a rest period, but then they just go back into the pool of flight eligible astronauts. And this is kind of a really fascinating time for those who follow kind of space exploration stuff, because there's a lot of different things happening and it feels like it's It's a very dynamic environment because now we have SpaceX and 
Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, as well as NASA flights and uh, the international community. We've got new countries that are coming in and becoming partners. And then we've got the space station changing, but we've also got lunar stuff and potentially onto Mars. And so it's constantly changing. It Maybe, <laughs> like, I wish I could say yes, for sure, or or no, I don't, I really don't know. There comes a point where you're waiting your turn, but who gets put on what okay. and when is dependent on a thousand different variables yeah. that are far outside my knowledge or pay grade. So, so I don't know, you know, just trying to do the next right thing, stay on the path that God has for you. And when he tells you to go do something else, you go do something else. Or if he tells you to keep doing what you're doing, doing it, you know, um, and if it happens, great. If it doesn't, it means God's got something else for us. You're not hesitant or you're not withheld. Like you're kind of holding with an open hand. Is that what I'm getting? I think I've stopped trying to plan for the future, not just because I think God has shown me that that is a waste of my time, but also being married to the person I'm married to. <laughs> like, just when I think, oh, like, yeah, like we're in the, you know, this is our life in the military. Then we completely like change and we like, you know, reorient and now to this other different lifestyle. And I try to be as open-handed with my plans as possible. This is an adventure. This is something new. And overcome my tendency to just like, well, I've made a plan. I just want to stick with the plan. Cause like, I know what this plan is. And I put a significant amount of time and effort in dividing this, designing this plan. And instead be like, okay, new plan, new adventure, something new. Let's just, if this is what we feel God is calling us, let's, let's go do it and make the most of it. No matter if it's short-term, long-term, totally new lifestyle change, we can do it. And I think it's because we've been willing to do that and say yes and try new things that we've been able to have some of the really cool experiences that have been a little bit outside the norm. That happened for me like when I learned that you have to apply to leave past like a certain mileage when you're in, at least for active duty Navy, when we did that, I was like, what is this? How can I ever plan any holiday or any spring break when you have to apply to leave past 250 miles. Like, what is this life? And like, nothing's secure at all. (laughs) Uh, Something that you were talking about, like with the history of space exploration, I'm so curious. I read the Astronauts Wives Club a few years ago, loved it. And I feel like it is such an interesting pairing. And it's by Lily Koppel for anyone who, who wants to look it up. But I read that. And then I'm actually so glad I read that before I read The Astronaut's Wife, your book, because I feel like it is like holding two different eras of yeah. history. I'm amazed and by, of course, by your story, but also by that one of just like how far ev- everything has come, like the evolution of NASA and the relationships with family. Like, have, did, when, did you read that like when you were joining NASA? Yes. When we first learned like, okay, we're moving to Texas. This is happening. Uh, that was definitely like on the short list of books that I started reading immediately. Yeah. There aren't very many books out there. Really only that one. Yeah. They talked about the family side. That's what I was going to say. It's that one and yours. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, and so I really devoured that book. I really, I really enjoyed it. I felt like it gave me at least a slice of insight, you know, into that time. It's really fascinating. And then one of the cool things about being here is I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of those wives who, um, yeah. unfortunately, you know, obviously they're older. A lot of them have since passed, but um, while they were still living in the last eight or nine years since we've been here, I have gotten to meet them. They are incredible women. I mean, just absolutely incredible. And you read the stories both in that book or online or whatever, and the incredible amount of stress from the events themselves, plus the media craziness. I mean, all of it is unbelievable. And and meeting them in person, and it's like, you know, they would tell us these stories. We, We try to bring 
the generations together of astronaut spouses, just like we bring different generations of astronauts together. And even though our spacecraft that our spouses flew on may be different, the, certainly the international partner, it's crazy. Like here, they were, you know, trying to, com- they're competing with the Russians. Now we're working with the Russians. Like the world has changed, yeah. but so many aspects of our stories and our experience are the same. And it's just like this universal mm-hmm. um, experience that, that so few spouses and families can understand unless you've experienced it. And so uh, we have a big reunion about every other year. And it's always fun to talk to spouses from other generations because yeah, there's always these fun nuances and crazy stories they have to tell us about those early years, but it's so universal at the same time. The stories they could be telling, if you just swapped out the name of the rocket or something like that, it could have happened yesterday. So it's really cool. You're the president of the NASA Spouses Organization. And correct me if I'm wrong. Am I right? You're right. So it's, we call now it used to be called the Astronaut Wives Clubs, just like that book. And then when yep. they started bringing on women astronauts who were married, then we had to change the name <laughs> back in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So now we're called the Astronaut Spouses Group. We get together on a regular basis. We have social events. But the biggest thing is connecting because yeah. most of us, all of us, have friends and community who aren't NASA related who live, you know, around us and support us. But there's something very unique about the astronaut spouse experience. And so we stay connected the best that we can, because really, I mean, nobody understands it like another astronaut spouse. They're a, a key, key person to have in your corner. What I would give to sit in the circle just to listen to the stories. The fact that like that they changed their shade of lipstick on Life magazine, like the color. I, I'm like, that is just got to be the tip of the iceberg. I can't, I'm so envious of like the conversations I'm sure that you've been able to sit in. Have you met Renee Carpenter? I have not met her. She's one of the few, unfortunately, that I have not met. I mean, like Janet Armstrong. I mean, just like, yeah, just incredible. And they're so down to earth. I'm just so glad because it's unfortunately, yeah, so many of them from that, the Apollo, Mercury, Gemini era have since passed. And so I just feel so lucky that I did get to in a room with them when I, because their stories there, I I wish there were more books. I wish there was a hundred books that I could recommend. And, and I tell my fellow astronaut spouses now you want to write a book. I'm in your corner. 100%. I hope that while mine feels like the first in a while, that's, you know, in this genre, like I hope I, I know I won't be the last and I hope I'm not the last because everybody has their own unique perspective, their own unique experience, but it is also fascinating to see how similar some of the stories are at least in the kind of the, the the challenges and the just the uniqueness of living on earth with a spouse in space. It's weird. Sometimes it's really weird. This comment is not to make you feel aged or archaic, but to think that when the following years, when next generations come, they'll also pull up the astronaut's wife and they'll look at you as a point of reference. That has to feel amazing. And to me, when I think about the story that God is sharing through your family, that is so generous to like, be a point for people to realize how to do it well. And I mean, it's for military families, NASA families, but also for people who just are learning to wait well and learning to live without. I want to thank you so much because I'm looking to friends who've gone before me and of the direction that my family and like Chris and I feel like God's calling us to do. I'm really looking towards my military circled friends and like how they're doing it so well. And so I feel like I learned a lot 
I truly did. I learned a lot by reading this book and I want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It's both fun and like really humbling and also a little bit heavy to think like, yeah, you put this book out and then it will live forever. Right. Yeah. Like right now, my kids like, they're like, oh, mom's book. Like I... <laughs> I'm so sick of it. Like not even like, I don't even think my son has read it yet. He's like, I'll read it when it shows up, like finished. I'm like, okay, typical, like, okay, teenager. It's always incredible to, to capture history, you know, through people's stories. I'm excited that mine is out there and that will, it will. And I know that just yeah. like when I look back at those original wives and we kind of chuckle because we're like, oh, their spouse flew for like two days, you know, and then it's like, yeah, like compared to this <laughs> nine months. But look, in another 50 years, they'll look back when we're like living on Mars or whatever. They'll be like yes. nine months. That's adorable. You know, like, like that's ridiculous. And it's the same way in, with anything. Right. Um, that's why I hope we could like, yeah. that's why sharing our stories is so important because it not just, is it important to capture like this really important point in time. And I think often for families, the part of the family that isn't the action hero, <laughs> right. Like whether you're, whatever your spouse is doing, whether it's, a police officer, a fireman in the military, you know, an astronaut, whatever it is, like sometimes the family can feel on the side. That's not really true. Like it's a lifestyle. So many of these jobs are not careers, they're, they're lifestyles and the whole family serves. I look at how many space books, <laughs> space movies, and it's like, like the right stuff, which is awesome. That's a great movie, great book. But what I loved about like the Astronaut Wives Club and talking to those spouses you took the camera that was focused on the crew and you just swiveled it like 10 feet to the right where the family was standing. And they're experiencing the same things just from a different perspective. And we don't often hear that. And I think sometimes as a culture, we minimize the importance of the family. I think the military has learned in this kind of post 9-11 world, we learned the hard way that you cannot ignore the family. What's happening back home has a direct impact on how well the service person serves. And I think that story is true at NASA. I think it's true in a lot of different career lifestyles. And so I hope people also read the book and they go like, yeah, my story is important too. You know, the, the, I serve too, I, this is, and I, I should share my story because it matters. You're the other half of the story. And like, we're only, if we never tell the family side, the spouse's side, like we're only telling half the story and people need to hear that story. It's really important. You know, it's really inspiring. Like I said, in my dedication of the book, you know, I dedicated it to the other military and astronaut spouses, because I, I want them to remember that they are a critical piece to the mission success. They are not like a bonus or like, well, I, you know, like this kind of side thing, like, no, they're critical. They are a critical part of the mission. Yeah. They should understand that's important to, to own that and not ever let anybody diminish your role in that mission. This has just encouraged me so much. I just, there was moments I cried. I laughed. I learned so much from this. And I just want to say thank you so much for doing the hard work, being brave, being vulnerable, (laughs) stepping out there like you already do every day. I'm so grateful. Is there anything that you want to mention that I did not cover? No, I hope that uh, all your listeners like order the book, enjoy the book, share it with a friend, buy one for your mom for Mother's Day. Yes. Um, I'm donating all of my proceeds to the book to military charities. Are you Um, really? I am. So um, I am unabashedly encouraging people to buy the book because the money's not going into my pocket. I've already set up my 501c3 
three and all of my book proceeds are going in there. And I've already committed that it will all go to charities that support military families. So look, even if you hate the book, you then your 20 bucks will support military families, but hopefully you enjoy it. You pass it on to a friend and it encourages you and helps you, you know, just kind of new, fresh look at amazing opportunities and adventures that God has in store for your life. Oh my gosh, that's so selfless. I was already planning on sending a few to friends from like, hey, I really think you need this. But now I'm just like, I'm pep in my step on my way to purchase. <laughs> that's amazing. So points to the character of just the person you are. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's so cool. Thank you so much. Cause that pours directly into me. Like that is filter my community. So thank you so much. I, that's amazing. One of the things that we close the podcast with, because the show is called still with you and it just comes from Psalms 139, 18 that says, and when I wake up, I'm still with you. And it's the promise of like, you know, even when we didn't know God was working, he was there all along. So this question is just for you. Where is God still with you? Gosh, you know, it always comes back to that first chapter, like where I just feel like the world is really a scary place right now. And when you wake up, everything around you, not just feels scary, but every voice is telling you to be scared. And that's our default tendency is like, okay, I'm scared. And then we start reacting like a scared person and we start lashing out and we start freaking out and we start trying to overly control our house, our children, (laughs) our spouse, like every, anything we can to try to like not feel afraid anymore. I know that my experience of like, you know, having a countdown to a moment where it's either going to be amazing or you're going to be a widow is, you know, most people don't have like a singular (laughs) countdown to that. The gift of that incredibly stressful moment was I had to make a decision. Am I going to live in fear or am I going to choose to hope in God who, and his hope says, regardless of whatever outcome, whether this launch is amazing and fantastic, or it explodes, my hope is unchanging. And my hope is not dependent on the circumstances that swirl around you. And so that message, I I feel like I have to pick up every day and, and feel like he is still with me in that every day. Because I think sometimes when you hear people talk about like faith and hope, it feels like, oh, this this just feels like something on like a Hallmark card, like, and that it's like, or that it's like a box you check once. And it's like, well, I chose hope. So like, like for the rest of my life, I should be like happy and joyful or whatever. And then one day you're not, and you're like, what happened? Did I uncheck the box? But the reality is that that kind of hope, that confidence that God is with you and is always with you is something you have to choose. And it's like, I kind of imagine it like picking up a really heavy blanket on a cold day and like wrapping it around yourself. Like you have to pick it up and and actively wrap yourself in it every day because the world, every morning you get up is like, you should be afraid. This is terrible. Life is terrible. You can't trust anyone. And it's not even worth living. And it's just scary, scary, scary. When you choose to wrap yourself in that hope, my hope in God, my faith is not dependent on the outcomes of today. My faith is not dependent on all these things that are making people very scared right now. Politics, the environment, science, whatever, all these things are just constantly changing and giving people stress. So that's where I feel him now. Like that lesson I started, like that really hit home to me back in on July 20th, 2019. It is sticking with me every day because it was like, okay, I, I felt it in that moment. What happens when you choose to pick that hope up and wrap it around yourself? It changes everything. Yeah. 
brings a clarity to everything. It reorganizes your priorities in a different way. And you respond to the world differently when your life is not being dictated by that fear anymore. So that's, that's where I feel like he's still with me. I love that. Wrap that hope like your favorite will be. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, wrap it up. I love that. Well, you're welcome back here anytime. It has been such a joy speaking with you, reading the book, connecting with you. I'm so excited that our paths have crossed. And so thank you so much, Stacey. I so appreciate you're welcome. it. Like I said, welcome back anytime. And I'll be praying for you during this week and just for your family. And man, thank you for giving back. You're welcome. So glad to be here. And we'll definitely do this again. All right, go Army. (laughs) (laughs) Go Army. Beat Navy. Yes, exactly. If you don't know what a whoopee is, I'll let you look that up on your own time. Is Stacy not out of this world? Pun intended. Bold, brave, all the incredible adjectives. I just want to add to her name. And I am so thankful for The Astronaut's Wife. Friends, if you've not yet pre-ordered a copy, do that. You can find all the information and more by visiting Stacy's website, stacymorgan2000.com. You can also visit theastronautswife.com. I just really pray that this book falls into the hands who need it most. If you are in a survival season scrapping to find some joy in the middle of fear, I know this book will be a true encouragement. What I love most about Stacy's style of writing is that she doesn't preach at us, but she simply shares her experiences that involve Jesus being at the center, that we can have fun and live an adventurous life with our lives revolving around Jesus and how true and stable and trustworthy he is. I love the astronaut's wife. I'm thankful for the Morgan family. And friends, I truly hope you connect with Stacy. Again, you can visit her website, stacymorgan2000.com. This link will be in the show notes of this episode for you to find along with all the other places that you can find Stacy. Show notes for every episode are always shared at coleybrowning.com as well as all channels of communication if you need to reach me. On social media, my handle is is at Coley Browning. I would love to hear from you where you're listening from, who you would like me to invite on the show. I want to be someone who is encouraging in your corner. And I sincerely thank you so much for taking a moment to listen to Still With You. The music shared in this episode is made by none other than Yamari. You can stream all of her music on Spotify, Apple Music, and more. If you'd like to connect with Mari, you can find her on social media. Her handle is Yamari And the song you're listening to right now is Where the Light Dances, one of her incredible singles. We are so grateful for her sharing her music with us. She is an ultra gifted friend and songbird. Next week on the podcast, we are speaking with a cast member from one of my favorite shows, Outer Banks. I am so excited and I cannot wait to see you next time. Be bold, be brave, be you, and remember that he is still with you. (laughs) 